Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. Good morning, everybody. Um, So as Joy was talking about generosity, I love that we as a church get to talk about generosity every single week because we believe that generosity is one of the main things that God actually uses to change our hearts. And so when we are generous, God actually changes our hearts. And so we talk about generosity every single week. This month in particular, and in December, there are two specific times we talk about generosity because June is the last month of our fiscal year. So if you guys know anything about money, it's kind of like the end of our budget year. So we're coming up to the end. And how we end this year affects all of the ministry we get to do next year. So we set our budget based off of where we end this year. And so as part of that, it's just another invitation to say, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, and if you want to set the future of our church for the next year, I want to encourage you to participate in generosity, be a part of what God's doing here at Friends. You guys can do that on the QR code on your, on your, um, your cards there. Uh, well, today I have a really fun topic that we're going to be jumping into, and that is the topic of cancel culture. That was a good turn, right? From generosity to cancel culture. Man, I'm really working on my transitions, you guys. We're going to get there. Uh, so we get to talk about cancel culture today, which I'm excited about. But as, we're, as we got to that, I was thinking about the last three weeks we've in, been in Psalm 23. And we've been looking at the good shepherd and how the good shepherd brings peace in the midst of darkness and chaos. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, the good shepherd is with us. And so today, as we look at our culture and what's happening in the world around us, and even in our own hearts, we're going to continue that idea of the good shepherd is with us and he's calling us to something different than we've been living. And so as we look at this idea of cancel culture, we're really going to ask the question, what does it look like for us as Christians? If you call yourself a Christian in this room, what does it look like for us to live a different type of uh, life in our community and in our culture? So, but first things first, some of you in here are like, what is cancel culture? I don't understand. Don't worry, I got you. I got some definitions here. So let's throw up a couple definitions. The first definition for cancel culture is this. The mass withdrawal of support from public figures or celebrities who have done things that aren't socially accepted today. This practice of canceling or mass shaming often occurs on social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Okay, here's another definition. Removing or attempting to remove people from their influential positions as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. So it's a way that we look at somebody socially and say, that person or that entity or that, 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 that whatever that might be, that's not aligning with what we would like to see. And so therefore, we're going to try any way we can to get that thing canceled is the way that, that we do it. And so this can be people, it can be institutions, it can be whatever. So as we look at cancel culture today, uh, one of the, the great examples I just, I thought of recently, and I'm sure most of you are unaware that this is happening, but there's been a trial between two celebrities. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, <laughs> Never heard of these guys? If you open up your news app on your phone, it's like number one every time. And I'm like, isn't there a war somewhere going? Like, aren't gas prat? Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening in this world. And yet we're talking about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp is the number one thing. 
So if you're not aware, Johnny Depp uh, accused Amber Heard of, I believe it was libel or something like that, because she referred to, her, to herself as a victim of abuse, which is something that we take very seriously. And it's like, yes, absolutely. And so when that happened a couple years ago, Johnny Depp got canceled, essentially. Out of, out of movies, you're not in Pirates of the Caribbean, you don't get to be in the new uh, Dumbledore movie, whatever that's called. You don't get to be in this thing, like you're done, you're canceled. So then he's like, well, that's not fair. So he, he goes right back and he's like, hey, you can't say these things about me. And so he actually takes her to court. And then during the whole trial, if you guys have been keeping up, you just notice the, the public opinion of Amber Heard just has continued to go lower and lower and lower. And you're like, is she even crying? It looks, is she sad? Like, we don't know. And we're judging her based off of what we're seeing in, these, in this trial footage. And so at some point, all these Johnny Depp fans, actually I heard 2 million fans signed a petition to get her canceled out of the next Aquaman movie which I think is actually happening. I don't think she's gonna be in this movie anymore. She's canceled. It's like, sorry, you're done. You're done, so sorry. And as I look at these two examples, I'm like, that's crazy that we care so much about what these two celebrities, and I, I don't wanna, again, there's no judgment on them, but I don't know that their lives should affect my life in this way. Like, how come I care so much about what's happening with these guys? Like some people, we're caring about it. Some of you are like, I don't know who those people are, and I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you, I really am. <laughs> It's like we're, we're spending all this time on this because we are so affronted, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're this way and they have to be done. They can't have any influence in our society anymore. And so I've just felt like those, those two entities, they, they describe for us kind of what cancel culture looks like, but it goes beyond celebrities. It goes beyond politicians. It goes to individually, you and myself, because individuals, we can be canceled, sure, but we can also choose to cancel others at any time which I think is a, is a weird phrase, and I kind of have to keep using cancel culture because we have that, but you can't actually cancel a human being. You know, like just by saying they're canceled. It's not gonna be like, hey, you're canceled. Sorry, you're just done. It's like, no, you can't actually do that. And yet we think that we can, and if we get enough people behind us, then we can, we can exert influence over things, which can sometimes be really good, right? Socially, if we get behind certain issues and topics, it's like, yes, we should rise up and stand up against this. But we can also admit, maybe it's gotten a little out of control just a little bit. And so, you know, we, we think the idea of, of canceling others, uh, we, we like it in some ways, in other ways we don't. But as Christians, I think we're called to something very different. We're not called to cancel people. We're actually called to love people. And that is a really hard thing. And so today we're going to look at that different standard that we have. Uh, but before we get into the different standard and what the Bible has to say, I, I want to look at why this cancel culture phenomenon is happening. Where did this come from? Like, why is it, has this always happened? Like for, for decades? Uh, it's actually a more recent phenomenon. I read something recently that the phrase even cancel culture came about in like 2016. So it hasn't been that long that we've been talking about this, but for some reason we're here. And so we're gonna look at three ways uh, that cancel culture, culture, how it was created, how this phenomenon came to be. And I'm taking some of this stuff uh, from Dr. Sean McDowell, who we're actually gonna hear from in a little bit, but he has these three points that I thought were just great. So the very first point is, why do we have cancel culture? The first is that there are hurting people in the world. We're all hurting people. And as Pastor Rick Warren put it, hurt people hurt people. When you're hurting, you tend to hurt other people. That's just how it works. We have such an incredibly hurting world right now. We have a pandemic that we're going through still. We've got loss. We have grief. We've got depression. We have pain. All of this is resulting in fear. All of this is resulting in people acting out, lashing out in some way, because when I'm afraid, when I'm hurting, I kind of want to like hurt other people to bring them into my pain. And I don't, or I don't even know what to do with what I have. And I just am like, Argh! and it just comes out of people. 
And so when we lash out, we begin to villainize other people. We're like, oh, they have no, like they're just, they have whatever over here, but I wish I had this. And, and we're always lashing out at different people. But sometimes instead of lashing out, we just totally retreat too. And we say, you know what? I just, I can't. And sometimes that's where the cancel culture thing comes from. Cause we're just like, you know what? Like your, your view, your opinion, it's like really, it's an insult to me and I'm out. Like I just, I can't even address that anymore. I'm just, it's much easier if you're just gone out of my life uh, instead of having a conversation around this. It's based around fear mostly. When I'm afraid of something, when I'm afraid of a different opinion, or I'm afraid of losing maybe some of my rights or privileges around something, I lash out because I want to keep what I have, I want to keep it protected, and I believe that I'm right, and so I want to keep it here. Which leads right to the next thing. One of the other reasons is that we have clashing worldviews that are becoming more and more divided. I don't know if you guys have noticed in our nation in our country, but the last few years, things have gone from here to here to, like, it's like we're getting further apart, not closer together. Further apart and not closer together. And the more entrenched we become, the harder it is for us to understand another person's point of view or to even try. We love to make snap judgments, then the space for disagreement, it's really shrunk to like nothing. It's like, well, if you disagree, great, okay. You're over there now, and now I'm over here, and there's no middle ground, there's no middle ground. Someone recently, I was reading an article, and they said the, the idea of nuance has disappeared. Nuance is gone. There is no nuance. It's just black or white, right or wrong. You're in my camp or you're not in my camp. Finish this statement. Oh, wait, I've just lost it. Finish this statement. If you're not for us, you're against us. That is a, not actually a really great statement when you think about the way the world ought to work versus how it does. If you're not for us, you're against us? What if it's like, if you're not for us, then maybe we can like, talk about it and find a way and be like, no, no, no. If you're not for us, you're against us. We're seeing more enemies than we are friends right now. And that's one of the reasons here at Friends that we run Alpha. If you haven't heard of Alpha, Alpha is a space where we get to come together and we get to say, you have that opinion, I have this opinion. And we can sit in the same room. We can share a meal together. We can say, great, cool. Tell me more about that. We get to understand each other. We get to, to ask questions differently. Because when we start to say, well, you don't think the way I do, so you're out then that's immediately putting up a wall and a barrier, which I think is adding to this cancel culture. So hurting people hurt people, clashing worldviews, and then lastly, instant connectivity. We have those, those, those devices in our pockets all the time, wherever we go. We are so connected right now that if we share an opinion, it can go out to billions of people, and billions of people can share their opinions with us, which is sometimes hurtful, and sometimes we get canceled because it's like, oh, you didn't like my opinion, so you, okay, we can do this. We're back and forth. We're able to share. We're able to post. Uh, I think social media, it's given us such an opportunity for good. It was a great experiment. Let's open it up. Free speech, right? We believe in free speech. We're Americans. Free speech. And then as soon as we open it up and people are actually saying what they actually think, we're like, ah, never mind. We're good. Please stop sharing what you think about that because I don't want to hear that anymore because that's not what I believe. And we find ourselves being so offended by things because we look at people and say, well, you're not thinking the way that I think about it, so you must be wrong. And I think when all of these have come together, it's resulted in this thing where we begin to cancel each other out. We get to say, you know what? I don't think I can be in a relationship with you, or I don't even think you should have any sort of play in our society or in my family or in my friends group or on my Facebook profile or whatever it is, we're done. X'd out, canceled. Have you ever been canceled by somebody? You don't have to answer that out loud. Some of you may have. You know the experience of what it's like to share something and to have others say, that's not the right opinion or the right thought, so you're done. You don't get to express your opinion anymore. 
Or maybe you're on the other side and you're like, you know, I've canceled a few people. Sometimes I go on my Facebook feed. I still have Facebook, by the way. It's still there. And I scroll through and I like read things. I'm like, mm, I don't really like that. And I just like hide post. Or you can just say, stop following. Have you ever done that? And that's okay. You can stop following people. It's totally all right. But what it's communicating is, I don't really like what they were sharing and I don't like how they said that. So I just don't really want to follow them. And this is another way that we cancel people. And I think however we find ourselves either being canceled or canceling others, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different way to communicate to one another, to live in this society together, Christians or not. And I think most importantly, as Christians, we have a mandate to operate better and different than the world around us. Instead of canceling others or or never engaging in sticky issues of the day, maybe there's a way that we can find a balanced response in this world. And I think the key here is in 1 Peter We actually went through 1 Peter, the whole book, a few months ago, and we talked about what does it look like to live as Christians in this world around us today. And so I'm going to take us to 1 Peter 3, because Peter, he's talking to Christians who are living in a very non-Christian world, and he gives us some incredible advice. He says this, 1 Peter 3, 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." Live such lives that people can't help but see God in you, even if you think completely different than others. How you communicate matters. It matters because God says it matters. We learned from this a few things. We learned first to revere Christ as Lord. That's the very first mandate that we are given. Revere Christ as Lord, which means you may, you may have some certain positions that you hold that others may disagree with because of the way that you, you interpret scripture, the way that you understand who Jesus is, and that's okay Revere Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, Peter's talking about. But he says, as you do, respond with gentleness and respect. And keep your own conscience clear. Oftentimes, we respond with anger and finger pointing. We respond with, you're not right, and so I can't interact with you. That doesn't sound like gentleness and respect, like Peter's asking us here. And one of the the best ways that I think we can keep a clear conscience, one of the best ways that we can operate in this world of of gentleness and respect, even with with different opinions and and voices, is in Matthew 7, Jesus gives us an incredible analogy about a, a plank and about a little speck. He says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. Every time I read this passage, I'm like, dang it. It's so much easier to be like, oh, let me just get that speck. But it's really hard when you're like, I can't see, but I'm going to try to, like, 
the analogy is so poignant because we all have stuff in our lives that we, we're not living how we would even say we would want to live, and yet we live this way. There's stuff in our lives that, that stops us from knowing God. And yet, we look at others and we say, oh, well, if you just, nah, I, I know you're doing it wrong. Let me show you how to do it. And every time from when I read this, I think, well, have I looked inside myself? Have I looked at my own life, my own heart? And so it's taking a balance between standing firm for what we believe because we can have strong beliefs about things. I think biblically, if we read the Bible a certain way, there's things that we're going to say, yeah, we can believe strongly about this. And yet, how do we live with respect and kindness towards one another? How can we do this? Well, to help answer this question, I want you to hear from Dr. Sean McDowell, who I mentioned earlier. Sean's a gifted communicator. He's an apologist. He's a YouTube uh, person. He's got a great Christian perspective when it comes to how we live out our faith in a fractured world. And so he's at our Yorba Linda campus this weekend, and we've, we had an opportunity to listen to him last night. And so we took some of what he said, and we were able to have it here today because he gives us just a great, great perspective on what does it look like to live in this world and how we can respond to the phenomenon known as cancel culture. So I want you guys to check out Sean McDowell. But in this session, I just want to talk about how you and I can best respond in our own individual lives as believers. And number one, when we look at cancel culture, above all else, we must be obedient. Even if it costs us something, we must be obedient. I did my dissertation on the deaths of the apostles, my PhD dissertation. So for years studied, was Peter crucified upside down in Rome? Did Thomas make it to India, etc.? And one of the things that just amazed me is you just read the beginning of Acts, and the apostles are threatened, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison, and they're told, just stop talking about Jesus. And in Acts 5, in one of my favorite verses, Paul, Peter speaks on behalf of the apostles. He says, no, we won't stop. We must obey God rather than men. That's powerful. Right at the beginning, it cost the Christians to speak and preach and proclaim truth. See, the reason we don't is because we fear culture oftentimes more than we fear God. A number of years ago, one of the best left backs in uh, U.S. women's soccer, her name is Jaylene Hinkle. If you follow U.S. women's soccer, you might recognize her. Well, in 2015, after the Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court ruling, she wrote this on social media. She said, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word never will. That's bold, right? Now notice she didn't say anything about marriage, didn't say anything about the Supreme Court, but kind of made it clear at that moment that she thinks there are certain truths that don't change and her commitment is to scripture and God's word that doesn't change. Well, simply for writing this, she became a marked woman. I can't tell you how many times since I've been giving this talk, how many Christians have come up to me and talk about what it's cost them, whether a job or a relationship, trying to be faithful. But that's our number one responsibility, is to be faithful and obedient to Christ, come what may. 
But second, extend grace, love, grace, and forgiveness. Extend love, grace, and forgiveness. It's natural to live in fear of being canceled. The question is, how should we respond to fear? And the Bible is crystal clear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear is selfish. Love is selfless. Fear is self-focused. Love is other-focused. Our posture, rather than living in fear, must be one of living in love. What's the thing that cancel culture lacks? Grace and forgiveness. We'll pull up something from a tweet or something you wrote on social media 10, 20 years ago and cancel you for it. There's no forgiveness in cancel culture. And yet that's the heart of the gospel is that God extends forgiveness to all who will repent and ask for it. So ironically, at the heart of Christianity, God's grace is the very thing that cancel culture lacks. So in my ministry on my YouTube channel, I try to extend this to people. And I've had a couple of guests on. I've got a little bit of criticism for this. But I've tried to find people of very different worldviews, reach out and show grace and kindness to lo and love to them. So I reached out to a lady who described herself as the OG lesbian YouTuber. That's how she described herself. For 12 years has been producing content on YouTube. Her name is Ariel Scarcella. Really thoughtful, kind person. I reached out to her. I was like, hey, would you come on my YouTube channel? Full disclosure, I'm a conservative Christian professor and just have a conversation about faith and your story. She goes, sure. So she came on my channel. It wasn't a debate. I just asked her a lot of questions and tried to listen. But a couple interesting things happened in the conversation. For example, I asked her, I said, hey, your family's Catholic. What was it like when you came out to your family? And she said, oh, my dad was great. He said, if God made you that way, wouldn't he want you to live it out? Something to that effect. She goes, what do you think? I'm sitting there going, does she really want me to answer? I said, do you really want to know what I think? She said, yes. I said, well, I think your dad got right that the Bible says we're all made in God's image. Doesn't matter our skin color. Doesn't matter how much money we have, our age, male, female, straight or gay. Every human being is made in God's image and has value. But that's Genesis chapter one and two. When you get to Genesis chapter three, it talks about the fall and that we have all been affected by sin. So we have creation and we have the fall. Given that we live in the fall, I'm uncomfortable appealing to any experience or desire somebody has and saying that's necessarily God's will. She goes, oh, as long as you're not, you're not saying that the LGBTQ community are uniquely sinful, she goes, that makes sense. I said, we're not. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of God. It's fascinating. Then at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, I'm going to open it up and I want to know what questions you have for me. Now, what do you think she asked? That's interesting, isn't it? I didn't know what she was going to ask me. At the very end, she said, I think many people in my community would want to know, how would you respond if one of your kids came out as gay? 
And I said, well, here's what I would say. I'd say to my son or daughter, I can only imagine how much you've been thinking about this and talking with your dad. Thank you for opening up and sharing this part of your life with me. I can't imagine how much you've been wrestling with this, given that I've spoken out on this issue. I said, second, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. There's nothing you could say or do or any choice you could make that would stop me from loving you. I said, and third, we're going to work this through together. I'll never forget it. At the end, she goes, wow, that's beautiful. When you release this interview, send me the link. I want to share it with my community. I thought, here's a bunch of people in the LGBTQ community who's going to watch some videos of a Christian apologist. Why? I think because I tried to lead with kindness and grace rather than lead with judgment. Now you might be like, I'm not on YouTube, that's fine. But there's gonna be people in your life you can reach out to with kindness and with grace. That's my challenge to you. And frankly, in the church, we don't always do this, do we? So number one, we must be obedient. But number two, may we be people of grace. Number three, we need to cultivate wisdom. More than ever before, we need what the scripture says is wisdom. I love the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter one, who's told just eat the king's food, but the problem is it's not kosher. And what does he do? He comes up with this creative solution that says, how do I honor what the king really wants? Because it's not about his food, but stay faithful to my convictions. That's a brilliant way to think. They came by wisdom. And in Daniel 1, we know the story of his vegetable diet and it worked out. We must be obedient when it's all said and done, but we must show grace and kindness to our wider culture who often also fears getting canceled and we must cultivate wisdom. That's my prayer for you as individuals and my prayer for your church. Okay. So I think Sean made some really interesting points, and I think one of the things that I I heard first from him was figure out in your own individual way, what is obedience to Christ for you? What is obedience to Christ for you? Because that's his his first thing, and and I think this too. None of us have all the answers. None of us has gotten it 100% right, and if you think you have, you might be in the wrong place today because we haven't, but it's a continued conversation and so what we learn from this, what he, he talked about and what we learn about cancel culture is how can we learn to have conversations about the hard topics? How can we learn to engage instead of disengage? And sometimes that means you're the one that's going to have to take the first step and say, I don't know if I want to have this conversation, but I think I need to. It's much easier to just back away. And sometimes you might be the one that someone's coming and saying, hey, I need to have a hard conversation with you. And instead of saying, oh, no, I don't, I don't, it's okay. How can I engage with that? Because being obedient, if God calls you to do something and you know it's him, you should do it. That's what obedience means. Extending love, grace, and forgiveness in all of our relationships, interactions, we're living out and seeking to live out Matthew 7, looking at the own plank in our eye before we look at our others. And 1 Peter 3, what does it look like to live with kindness and respect to one another? And then lastly, we cultivate wisdom. Living like a Christian, living God's values in this world, it takes wisdom because for each one of us, it looks different. 
That's why it's called wisdom. That's not why it's called, hey, just read the rule book and you're good to go. There's a lot of gray in life. There's a lot of gray in our world. We'd like to make it black and white. That just would be so easy, wouldn't it? But the more we do that, the more we're finding that we're not able to even have conversations together. And so today, as we close, I want to just ask you guys, is, is God calling you to obedience to your convictions? Because some of you may be like, you know, I've just kind of given up on conviction. Like God said some stuff, but I'm like, I'm out because I don't want to get cancer. I don't even want to say something I, don't, I shouldn't say. I don't want to offend. But some of you, you need to learn how to extend more forgiveness and grace to others. And so today, we're going to have an opportunity to just reflect. And, and I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, because it uses this word reconcile like five or six times. Because reconciliation is the opposite of canceling. Canceling is saying we have no relationship. Reconciliation says we can have relationship. We may be different. We may think differently. We may have very different beliefs, but we can still be together in some way. That's reconciliation. So as we close today, just close your eyes. And I'm going to read these verses. And I just want you to listen and ask God, God, what is the invitation that you have for me in this? 2 Corinthians 5, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is now committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I just, I want you to take an assessment of your own heart right now. Are you a reconciler? Are you someone who seeks the good of others? Maybe you'd like to think you are, but maybe you also know there are some things, there are some planks in your eye that, that you need to look at that Jesus is gently pointing out to you right now, or maybe not so gently for some of you. What might he be inviting you into right now? Just imagine it in your mind. Think about your, your social spheres of influence. Think about your family. Think about those who are our friends or acquaintances, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people living in your community. Maybe it's your church family. And what might Jesus be inviting you to step into? I think right now, maybe for some of you, there are people that you need to forgive who have hurt you, who've maybe tried to cancel you. And you can just forgive them right now in your heart. There may be some in here right now who need to ask for forgiveness from others for how you've treated them, for how you've ostracized them, tried to maybe even cancel them in some way.
Holy Spirit, right now, would you convict us? Would you speak to us about what it means to be ambassadors of reconciliation? It's not easy. You don't say it's easy, but you do say it's the best. So would you help us? Would you help each one of us to know what it means in our own world, in our own obedience to follow you and to love on others? So Jesus, we thank you for this message and we thank you for the ministry you've given us.